Welcome. How you doing? Hey, uh, sometime I'm introduced as the provost of Southeastern University, and most people don't know what the heck is a provost. Uh, I am responsible for the academics and the curriculum and the faculty and so forth. And uh, I was actually meeting with one of our faculty on Monday, and we were chatting. And uh, I'm going to call her Jen because that was her name. And, and we were talking, and, and Jen said to me, she said, I, I never made a decision in my life, uh, as long as my grandmother was alive, without talking to her and getting her input on that decision. And she said she, she gave so much wisdom. She, she lived so many years and so forth. And I, I didn't always follow what she said, but I always wanted to hear her before I would make a decision. I don't know if you have somebody in your life that you do that with, but, but wisdom is, is something that, uh, it, it's just not deep thinking, all right? When we look at the Bible, wisdom is really ideas, insights for practical living. How do we do life? In fact, I, I, don't, I don't know how you do life, or really, I don't know how you do marriage or raise teenagers without some wisdom, all right? Without some wisdom. And that's part of the reason why every day I read a chapter in Proverbs, because I'm hoping that some of that will, will come in and help me just in my daily decisions that I have to make, difficulties that we might do, future plans, and so forth, to obtain that wisdom. And so it, it really is there for practical wisdom. It's there for insight. It's there for a discernment. In fact, one of the words for wisdom is this idea of, of just uh, getting into somebody's face and saying, hey, you need to do this. If you watch any football yesterday, sometimes when a player makes a bad mistake, a coach might just get in their face, and hopefully they're not swearing at them, but they're giving them some wisdom. They might even grab their face guard and say, now listen to me. Next play, you do this. And, and sometimes we, we have parents maybe that do that for us, or a good friend that might do that for us, or maybe life itself that comes along and smacks us in the face and we learn something out of that. Maybe it was a mistake that we made that we regretted and we say to ourselves, I'm never gonna do that again. I learned my lesson from that. That was a, a horrible experience. I never wanna go through that again. And, and life just kind of deals with that. Maybe, maybe it was a suffering time that we went through that taught us something. Maybe it was the result of a bad decision somewhere down the line. They just kind of grabbed us there. And, and that's part of what wisdom is. Uh, one of the, probably the most wisest person as we read scripture that ever lived was King Solomon. When he uh, was about to, uh, well, actually when he became king, uh, prayed to God and said, uh, and God said, you know, pray to me and I'll pretty much give you anything you want at this point. What are you praying for? And he says, give me wisdom to, to direct the people, to govern the people, to oversee the people. And, and God gave it to him. And it was so well known that people would come from other lands just to sit under his wisdom and hear from him. So in that, we have like the Proverbs, which he wrote, and he wrote to young men, and he gave them some wisdom on how to live life. And particularly dealing with young men, many of the first chapters, like chapter 2 and then chapter 5 and chapter 6 and 7, all have to deal with we young men and guarding their eyes and being careful about lust and taking care of those sort of things, things that young men deal with. 
And, and in chapter eight, he almost, he talks about wisdom actually as a person. But in chapter four, I want to read it to you this morning. And he gives us some ideas about the importance of wisdom. I think they're going to put it on the screen. Chapter four in the first 13 verses, it says, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. So do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son of my father, who was Solomon's father, King David, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, take hold of my words with all of your heart. In other words, grab it and really take this in with all of your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland, garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I... I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction and do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Now, as I read that, I, one of the things I do every day when I pray by my wife, I say, Father, give me wisdom and discernment for this day. Give me your wisdom and favor as I go through it. I need your wisdom before I leave the house in the morning, before I step out and, and drive to work. And as I'm at work, Lord, I need your wisdom. I was counseling with a young couple on, on, on Friday and they came to me for wisdom. And, and you know, they, one of the things they said, it was a nice compliment, Dr. Hackett, you're so wise. And I'm thinking, and I told him, I said, no, it's God. It's God. I, I didn't know what you were going to bring me as you were coming in for counseling. But, uh, you know, God just gave me some insights in regards to the questions that you were asking me. And that was God. I, I can tell you so many times I have talked to different people and in my mind, I'm praying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. All right. And, and God will give me an insight as to what to say in that moment. But part of that comes out of a life of, of just reading his word and, and getting that into us so that we can draw out of that. And so what I want to do today is give you a few tips. Hopefully, they're words of wisdom, things that I've learned in my 72 years of living, things that have helped me along the way, things that have helped me in being married for 52 years. And a lot of it probably came from my wife as well. I don't know about some of you guys, but you know, there's the Holy Spirit and then there's your wife and you know, okay. Sometimes it's both the same. All right, God works through her as well. But let me give you some tips for a wise and fruitful life. Number one, love God and follow his principles. Read his word daily and apply it to, to everything in your life. Now, now, we hear that all the time, but are we doing it? Do you know if, if you come across and there's plenty of a, a Bible reading plan, it will probably take you about 20 minutes to do that every single day. And if you do that every single day, you can read the entire Bible in a year. 
In fact, you know, if that's too much time to actually give to God's Word, take 10 minutes and take two years to go through the Bible. We have, we have Bibles out there that you can buy, you know, just books along that line uh, that, that kind of help you along that line. But reading it over and over again, and as you read it, pray, God, give me an insight out of what I'm reading. Sometimes I, I read through something and, and you know, you're, you're done and then you think about what did I just read? And you go back and read it again. And sometimes I read it out loud slowly and hear myself say it just to kind of get it into my head. But every day when I go into the word, I say, Lord, is there a word or is there an insight in this that's going to help me, that's going to guide me in life? God's word is a bank account that will never get empty. God's word is a treasury that will never run dry. You can make withdrawals over and over again, and you're never going to run out of wisdom that's going to come from it. And God has given it to us for that purpose. And he's saying it's there. My promises are fresh for you every single day. Read my word. It will never run dry. And as you read it, find verses that will guide your life. John 13, where Jesus, the night before he's going to be arrested, He's in the upper room with his disciples. Most likely they had the last supper. And afterwards he gets a towel and he walks around and he washes the disciples' feet. And when he's done, he says, uh, I've given you an example that you should follow in my steps. If you do this, you will be blessed. And, and they, were, they, were, they were just taken back from that because here is their rabbi washing their feet. And, and Jesus saying, I've set you an example. That passage has been a guide for me. In my life, I am to serve people if I'm following Jesus. I am in some ways to wash their feet, to help them in some way. And even wash Peter's feet, who he knew was going to deny him, and, and Judas's feet, who was going to betray him. So that means I am even to serve my enemies or people that are coming against me. That's kind of like imprinted on my brain. Why? Because it's in God's word. And one day God said, Bill, this is for you. Live it. Live it, but he really says it for all of us. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And the Holy Spirit has said to me over and over again, what are you giving up for her? What are you giving up for her? And it's a passage that kind of guides me all the time and how I am to treat my wife. I am to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. What am I giving up? And so practice spiritual disciplines. Read God's word. Meditate on it. Ask God to illuminate it into your life. Spend times in solitude thinking about God's word, and it will guide you. It will help you. Why? Because it's wisdom for life. Keep it first. A second thing I would say to you is, is, is take care of your body, your soul, and your spirit. Uh, there's nothing about exercise in the Bible. But remember, they had no cars. They had no trains and planes and automobiles. They walked everywhere they went. It's about an 80-mile trip from Jerusalem to the area around Galilee. And Jesus and his disciples walked there. They didn't have a stagecoach. Nothing was there but their feet to get them there. So I think the people in the Bible were probably in pretty good health. And so they didn't have to talk about exercise when, when people were writing to them the words of Scripture. But it's something that we have to do because we live a more passive life. 
and we need to take care of ourselves. This is God's temple, we're told in 1 Corinthians 6. He has bought and paid for it. So I encourage you to, to exercise. We have some small groups where they're getting up at, I don't know, 4.30 in the morning to go exercise at 5, right? Crazy times along that line. But I find out too in my own life in doing exercise that if you do it in the morning, you are three times more likely to do it on a regular basis than waiting to the evening. Get it done and get it out of the way. And I just want to take care of myself and be healthy and live a long life, all right? Sometimes I say I want to look good naked, all right, because I'm still in love with this woman. Don't picture me there. I've lost you at this point, but, you know, just the thought, all right? I want to be the man that she married and as much as I can in spite of the wrinkles and everything else. Just the thought. Okay, we'll move on. All right. So get into God's word. Control your emotions. You know, body, soul, and spirit, those emotions. It's fascinating to me that in Colossians, we're told to take off things like anger and bitterness, just as if we take off our clothes at night before we go to bed. And we are to put on things like compassion and love, just as we put on our clothes in the morning. Why? Because Christ is in us and we can make those decisions. Learn to control our emotions and bring him into submission to God. It's part of taking care of who we are as a believer in Christ Jesus. And so we need to do those particular things. Guard your tongue. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And listen to the next verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, our tongue, when we are doing unwholesome talk coming out of it, actually grieves God's spirit. That's what we're not, we're not supposed to do. We're supposed to build people up with this tongue and encourage them. Don't you like to hang around people that lift you up as opposed to tearing you down? Right? It's, it's, it's kind of a nicer way to live. Find someone you love, something you love to do, and do it so well that people will pay you to do it. If you do that, you'll never have to work a day in your life because you love what you're doing. It gives you purpose and meaning and passion. The term that we use at Southeastern University comes from our president. We are helping students to develop and discover their divine design. Why were they placed here on earth? Paul prays that in Ephesians chapter 1 when he's praying for the church. And he prays that they might know the hope to which they are called. God's glorious inheritance in them. God created each one of us with a divine purpose and calling. And when we find that, we are most fulfilled. Why? We were doing, this is what I was created to do. There's not a day that I don't walk across the campus at Southeastern University and just thank God for being there. I get to do this. People ask me, what's the best thing at Southeastern? Working with young people. Working with people who are discovering who they are. Summer's boring at Southeastern because there's no students there. But when the students come in, that's life. And I get to do this. It's so fascinating and so fulfilling for me. But you have something like that as well. Find out what it is. Find out what God has placed you here. Don't do a job that you hate and discourage. You're not in your right place. God has a place where you're going to be fulfilled and saying, this is what I was meant to do. Marry your best friend. Hopefully, that's a person of the opposite sex. But marry your best friend. You know, God tells us to love our enemy and our neighbor. 
It's a lot easier to love our neighbor over here who's our friend than our enemy. But he doesn't care how we feel about that person. He says it as a command. Some of you heard me before say there was a time in my life when I said to God, I don't feel like I love Judy anymore. I thought God would put his arm around me and comfort me and so forth. Instead, I felt him give me a kick in the rear end. He said this, it's not up to feeling. You made a decision, Hackett. Do it. It's a command. You You don't feel your way into acting. If you did, you'd never get out of bed in the morning, right? You don't feel your way necessarily into exercising. Why? You'd never start doing it. You act your way into feeling. You act your way into feeling. You do it. And particularly as a Christ follower, we do it because it's a command of God. We love our wife. We love our husband. We love our family. We love even our enemy. Why? Because he says to do it. And we start practicing, even though we don't feel like it, eventually the feeling will come. I've never had to pray that prayer again to God regarding Judy. Why? Because I know what to do, even if I get close to her. Love her and act like it. And it becomes a normal reaction. Tell me, I'm telling you folks, it works at that point. So marry your best friend and look for somebody who's going to build you up and encourage you in that. Uh, Do you build up your spouse or do you tear them down? It's important. You know, marriage, we have the psychological power to either make this good or bad or to harm this person or to lift them up. God wants us to lift them up. Marriage is for life. It's a decision. Don't depend on feelings alone. Here's one that I came across that has really helped me. Forgive people for not being God. Only God is perfect. Only God is going to please you in every way. I am not God. I am going to make mistakes and so forth, and I need, to, I need to be forgiven just as I have to forgive other people. Why? Because we're still human. We are still in this flesh, and we are in the process of becoming more and more like him, and we need forgiveness in the process. Begin with the end in mind. What do you want said about your life at your funeral? What do you want people to say? What is, what is that life sentence? If you could put in one sentence what you want to be said, what is it? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever actually written down a sentence that you would want to, that would encapsulate your, your, your life? Well, begin today living that way. What is it going to take to do that? You have to take the first step now so when that funeral comes, they will say those things. What sort of legacy do you want to leave behind? So begin with the end in mind. Live the life of a servant and be humble. I already told you about the passage in John 13, but Jesus said that a number of times, and it was said about him in Philippians chapter 2. It says that he was in the form of God. He had all the powers and rights and, and perks of being God, but he laid it aside, and he took on the form not just of a man. He took on the form of a servant. He wasn't acting like a servant. He was a servant. When the disciples came to him, and they were asking, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? He said, hey, what? Not about greatness as you see in the world. He said, the greatest among you will serve just as the Son of Man, myself, came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
after he washed his face, or feet of his disciples, he said, what? A new commandment I give you that you should love one another as I have loved you. As Christ followers, we are called to serve in this world and to be humble, right? To wash people's feet. Live a life of repentance. Appreciate grace and mercy. Grace is, is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And, and living a life uh, of grace and mercy is realizing that no one owes us anything. But God has given us all. And to be thankful for it. I, I sometimes pray the prayer that was in Luke chapter 18 when the tax collector was in the temple with the Pharisee. The Pharisee says, what? I, I'm thankful. Look, I've done this, God, and I've done this, and I'm thankful like, that I'm not like this tax collector over here. And what does the tax collector say? Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God says, which one walked out of there justified? The tax collector, living a life of repentance and mercy and asking God for that. I, I, I watched the progression of Paul in his epistles, in his letters, in the very early ones, he talks, calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Later on in history, as he's writing, he says, well, I'm the least of the apostles. Later on in his writing, he says, I'm a sinner. And in his last letters, he says, what? I am the chiefest of sinners. What are we realizing? That the way up is down. You've been asked somebody that, you know, famous like a, a Mother Teresa or a Billy Graham or somebody like that, they would say, hey, I'm so far from God because the closer you get to God, the more you see all your inabilities and your lack and you realize that God loves you in spite of all that and it belittles you at that point in a way that humbles you, realizing that you don't deserve anything. Here's one, have close friends that have permission to speak into your life. Google sometimes friendship by Aristotle. Aristotle said there are three different levels of friendship. The weakest one, he says, is when you are in a friendship for your own benefit. Hey, I think I'm gonna make friends with this person. I think it could help me out. I look good next to him, right? It makes me important if I'm a friend with this person. He said that's the lowest form. The second form of friendship is where you're in a relationship simply because you have things in common, all right? You, maybe you both love college football. I mean, if you go here, you have to love Georgia in some way, unless they beat your team Notre Dame, you know, but, you know, you have to love it. So, hey, I, I'm a friend with Jeff because, okay, we have that, all right, in common. We're even closer friends if we love the same team, all right? Now we're, all, we're really close friends. But, but again, Aristotle says that's not the deepest level of friendship. He says, the deepest level of friendship is when you're in a relationship for the benefit of the other person. And you have that opportunity to speak into their life. And they want to hear it from you. Why? Because they know you, you have their best interest at heart. Right? And so it, it benefits them at that particular point. And, and so, you know, you want that so, sort of relationship. I want people to speak into my life. I get around people that speak into my life, mentors that will help me out and give me insight. I've had some great mentors in my life. Some of them have gone to be with Jesus. One of them is, is just Jeff, all right? Uh, we, we get good wisdom every single week. I'm gonna be honest with you. Last week I, I came in and before I got in here, I was talking to one of the greeters. 
and I was complaining. All right. What was, jo- what was Jeff's message last week? Yeah. I mean, get a kick in the rear end and come into church. Right? But we need some of that. And I appreciated that. I mean, he got me right, right there. I'm complaining to the, to the, the greeter, walk in, sit down, and, you know, the message is, uh, you know, I'm no longer going to complain anymore. Okay. Got me. All right? But that's wisdom. Wisdom is having a pastor like that that knows those things that we deal with and will speak to them week after week after week. Coming to church is getting wisdom, and we're thankful for that. Pastor Blackburn is, is the pastor to the leadership team at Southeastern University. I don't know how many other universities have a pastor, but he speaks into our life. And there's afternoons that we will go over to Victory Church as a team and, and sit with him for just a couple of hours. And you, know, I never know, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. Right? But there's always some insight and something to learn from that situation. We've made him that pastor because we respect him and know, we know that he speaks wisdom. That's what makes Victory Church strong at that point. Uh, Hold things loosely. You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. Right? Too much stuff takes too much time and too much worry. Uh, The great philosopher Bob Dylan said this. When you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. It's not bad, right? Less to take care about, less to worry about, all right? Uh, I, I can remember going to lunch with a couple older guys and listening to their wisdom, and one person would, well, the, my pool pump is, you know, having problems and so forth, and is that my, my new car, the technology? And, and one of them would always say this, oh, it's so sad, the woes of the rich. When you have those sort of things, there's more stuff to break, you know? And, and so we worry about that at times, but hold things loosely. You know, Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven or hell. And there might be something to that. Don't uh, get out of debt. Don't carry a credit card balance. Am I saying get rid of credit cards? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying credit cards can be good. There are credit cards that benefit. You can build up points, and I have certain credit cards that will give me points on the airlines and so forth and give me a discount when I buy gas. But I treat credit cards as if they were debit cards. And every time, every time I use the credit card, I write it in my checkbook and I deduct it right away. And so when my bill comes, I don't have to worry about this big amount because I've already deducted all the way through the month. I simply get that bill and make sure that I covered and didn't miss any receipt from doing that. And I paid them off. And so credit cards can work for you. I, I, I tell the student, uh, a story to students at Southeastern that one time uh, we wanted to buy a freezer and I had the cash to go do it. So it was when Sears was in business, went over to Sears and, and we picked out a freezer and I go to pay for it. And, and the fellow at the counter, the salesperson said, do you have a Sears credit card? I said, no, I don't. He said, well, if you had a Sears credit card, you could get 10% off on this freezer. I said, well, that sounds great. And he said, you know, you can fill that out right now and have that Sears credit card. I said, well, let's do it. I'm I'm all for 10% off. And he said, not only that, you won't have to pay any money for two months. Well, I'm not stupid. You know, that's two months that my money could be gaining interest in the bank or in something else. So I said, okay, I'm all for this credit card. Now, what are they hoping that I will do with that credit card? They're hoping that I will make those monthly payments for the next 40 years at 27% interest rate, right? 
And so I kind of get them at that point because when that two months is up, I pay it off and I'm done. But I got all the benefits of that credit card in that situation. One of the plans I tell my student, real simple, you don't have the budget, well, budget this way. I call it the 10-10-80 plan. 10% is your tithe, 10% is for savings and retirement, and the other 80% is what you live on. And, and by the way, when you get a raise, don't always raise your, your spending up to that raise. Stay on that former budget that you're on and maybe increase your tithe or maybe increase your, your savings in retirement. When's the best time to prepare for retirement? When you're young, because that money is gonna accrue over those next 40, 50 years for you. Don't wait till you're 45 to start thinking about it. And, and, and why do you have a savings account? Because when the car breaks down and the dryer breaks and the roof is leaking and the washing machine won't work anymore, and how are you gonna pay for it if you don't have any money? Well, we pop out the credit card. Well, if you have the cash, you can pay for that and you don't have to get in debt in those situations. Something to think about at that point. But again, God wants us to be wise with our money. So it's something that we ought to do. Make a budget and accomplish it, all right? And also make a bucket list and accomplish that. People that live a long life like me, and I'd rather be seen than viewed, uh, you know, people that live a long life, a lot of times they regret, I didn't do this, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do this. Basically, you're saying, I wish I had risked more. Now, obviously, the problem with risking is it's risky. But, you know, there are some things in life that maybe you need to just do. What are your dreams? What do you want to accomplish in your life? In other words, I'm saying live a fulfilled life. Write out a bucket list and go and do those things. Live a life of integrity. Make sure that what you do and what you say line up. Be authentic, be honest. Always take the high road. You know, honesty is the number one quality that workers look for in an employer. Honesty. Over the past, let me see, 20, 30, actually 40 years, Two men by the name of Kuz and Posner have done a study on this. And the study is not just in the United States, it's national and it's international. And they have asked workers, what do you want in a boss that would make you want to work for that boss? Not put up with that boss, but would make you want to work for that boss. And they, the answer that has come out over and over again, far above any other answer, was honesty and integrity. I want a boss who means what she says and says what she means. I want a boss that's going to be honest with me in situations. Don't you want that in any relationship? But people want people that are honest in today. We, we follow the news and we look at politicians and it's almost like flipping a coin. What news channel is telling us the truth? What is the false news? Wouldn't it be nice if reporters just told the truth and didn't take political sides and you know, kind of skew things their way? I think we're looking for more honesty in life and maybe that's somewhere that we need to live. Happiness is a choice. It's not a condition. Practice a positive attitude. I, 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 I try to avoid negative people. Do you ever get in a room where you get with negative people and then all of a sudden your negativity is coming out and you're complaining and Pastor Jeff already preached on that so we can't do that anymore. 
But you have to avoid that sort of thing. I want people that are going to be positive. And so I want to stay from that. Happiness is a choice, right? You can face different things in different ways. You can choose to be happy or choose to be sad. I like choosing to be happy. Live a life of gratitude and be positive. The opposite doesn't work. I, I love it. I have a, a friend of one of the faculty members at Southeastern that I always ask him how he's doing, and he'll say, uh, I'm, uh, I'm living better than I deserve. What a way to live. I'm living better than I deserve. God's taking care of me better than I ever thought he would, better than I deserve. That creates a humble and a, and a, a servant-like spirit when you have that sort of attitude. Your attitude can determine the shape of your life. Live a life of gratitude. Remember the words of King Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Ecclesiastes is almost a negative book as we read through it because he's saying, you know, uh, you know what is this? It's useless and so forth. Doing this, what is it gain? Vanity of vanities. But the last two verses... Uh, of the last chapter, he says this, now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. And this is the duty of all humankind, of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And then I think about a passage that has just really touched me this week. And again, I said, read the Bible and look for, for verses that will stand out to you. It's in a chapter by Isaiah where he's telling them all the promises of how God's going to take care of them. And he says this, he says, when you go through the waters, I will be with you. As, I, as I, I read that verse this week, I thought about the people in the Bahamas and as I saw them escaping their homes and going through the floodwaters and, and so forth. And, and I saw there's a literal picture of what that means. But we go through waters as well. Waters that might drown us at different times. And he says, when, I go th when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. That's the God that we serve. And that's why we study scripture. And last but not least, this is something I've, I've often shared with the faculty. Why? Because it works. It's, it's written by the name by uh, Robert Fulgrim, and it's the title of his, one of his books. But it's really this. All I really need to know, I learned in kindergarten. All I really need to know, how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain but it was right there in the sand pile at school. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. And I might add to that, parents, let your children clean up their own mess. You cleaning up for them is not gonna help them in the long run. At some point, they're gonna have to learn to clean up their own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat and flush. And boys, put the toilet seat down when you're done. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life, learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. You can do that today. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic Hold hands and stick together. 
be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down and the plant goes up and nobody really knows how or why, but we are all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die and so do we. And remember Dick and Jane books and the first word you learned, the biggest word of all, look. And in a day when we have this thing, stop looking at this and look at life and maybe even the traffic in front of you. Look. Everything you need to know is there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology and politics, and even equality and sane living. Take any one of these items that I just shared and extrapolate it into a sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family, your life, your work, your government, or your world, and it holds true and clear and firm. Think what a better world it would be if we all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they lay down on our blankies for a nap. Doesn't that sound good? Or if our governments had a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. And it's still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out in the world, it's best to hold hands and stick together. Amen, church? All right. Have a great day. God bless you. Keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. Amen.